Amen. Give the Lord one more big clap offering today. He is worthy of our praise. We'll give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're looking good. And you might make your way to Proverbs 18. Well, the ushers are going to give you something that I'm going to use in the message a bit later, but uh, it's going to appear to be a rubber band, but it is not. It is, it, it is something that will help you develop by a, an eminent psychologist. So go ahead and take one and uh, put it on your wrist or just hold it and we'll use it later. But let me welcome you uh, to Church on the Rock. We are continuing a series called... Happy, 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 and it's kind of a takeoff of uh, the Duck Dynasty, which is kind of a, the current fad in America. That's why we did the camo day today. But we've been kind of having some fun, and it amazing me, as the Bible says, that God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So you have a country family from Louisiana, and they literally have a platform all across America, and they're Christian people, and they talk to people about Jesus, and they're making family work. So anyway, the last few weeks, we've talked about uh, the number one uh, way to uh, get along with people. It's the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. We talked about how to, uh, how to restore a broken relationship. And last week, we talked about how to have a lifelong relationship. Now, you can't have a lifelong relationship with everyone, but how many know your, your husband, your wife, your kids, your, your intimate family, uh, you'll find that there's partners, there's Christians that you want relationship with the rest of your life. Well, the Bible's got a lot to say. This morning, Proverbs 18, verse 21, it's a, it's a passage that will apply to everybody. I don't care if you're in kindergarten or if you're a grandfather, this will speak to your heart. It's Proverbs 18, 21, and it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Can you say that with me? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, obviously, it's speaking on an emotional level. The uh, Message Bible says this, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit, you choose. Now imagine the two words you can come from a, a, a dad and his son when the, the son's at that awkward age. I hate you. I wish I'd have never been born in this house. Imagine if the dad says, well, son, I love you, and there's no one else that I'd like to be my son. Words kill and word give, give life. And when words come out of our mouth that have destructive power to curse, and I don't mean cussing, but to curse, if you respond back with the word that curses, it's going to get worse. But if you can have a tongue of grace, how many know things will get better? So that's what we're going to talk about. This morning, uh, there's, a, there's a, a theme that I'm going to endeavor to teach you. I call it a spiritual truth. And every week, I try to communicate what I'm going to say to you in one simple sentence, which is the purpose of the message. And this morning, it's this. The quality of our relationships will be determined by the words we say. Let me say it again. The quality of our relationships will be determined by the words that we say. So let's explore it together. I've called the, the message, Words, Life or Death, Part 1. Uh, next week we'll pick up part two, and hopefully you'll bring a friend to that. Let's begin with James chapter 3. James 3, the book of James is the, it's like the book of Proverbs of the New Testament, filled with wisdom, filled with practical advice about how to live your life. Uh, your tongue, as we've said, has the power to bless or curse. You can say it this way, the words you say have the power to inspire or depress. The words you say have the ability to encourage, lift up are discouraged to tear down. Your words have the power to heal a relationship or they have the power to hurt a relationship. 
So James 3 verse 1 says this. It's a passage talking about the tongue, that organ in our body that formulates the words that are in our heart. James says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, what's the commodity that a teacher deals in? Words. And in this particular case, Christian teachers, if you teach false doctrine, if you lead people astray, God will judge you. But the key thing is, what are you saying? And then he generalizes it to us. He said, we all stumble in many ways. And anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, <laughs> able to keep the whole body in check. Now, what does that mean? That means if the, if the words that are coming out of your mouth are not destructive words, if they're not hurtful words, now, they're still honest words, they're still truthful words, but they come out in such a fashion that they don't hurt but they heal. The Bible says you have an ability to control your whole body because it's out of your heart that these words are coming. Now, uh, he's going to give three illustrations. He's going to talk about uh, uh, riding a horse. He's going to talk about the rudder of a big ship. And he's also going to talk about a fire that can produce a forest fire. Now, he says, verse 3, When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now, that bit is like your tongue, and I want you to imagine how big the largest horse you've ever ridden, you control that thing, listen, not just with sugar and apples, but you control it with a bit that's in their mouth. So he's suggesting bridling our tongue. Take a ship, for example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. So if you can imagine a huge ship, an oil tanker on the oceans, that ship has a sophisticated steering system, but there's something under the water that turns wherever the pilot says, and it turns that ship into the port or into a deeper, deeper traffic lane. Your tongue is that powerful, though it's that small. Uh, the last illustration he gives is fire. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Arsonists have started fires that literally consume tens of thousands of acres or, or hundreds of thousands of acres, all with a match. Now, verse 6, it gets pretty strong. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. Now, can you imagine? He's talking to Christian people. And he says, your tongue has an evil propensity because how many all, know all of us were born with a sinful nature? Until that nature is redeemed, until that nature is, is coming under control of God, not just willpower and self-discipline, but God is reshaping us, your tongue uh, will corrupt the whole body. It'll set the course of your life on fire. And listen, your tongue is itself set on fire by hell. Now, that's an amazing statement. It's making a spiritual connection where Satan is able to use your tongue for great, great destruction. Now, your tongue is only four, four inches long is the average tongue. Now, I can stick mine out, and I can see about much of it. But four inches is able to bring great destruction. I read this week that in, every, in the average year of America, only two, uh, over 200,000 acts of arson are committed. In other words, somebody goes and they burn down a house, they burn up a car, uh, they burn up property. That's over $1.3 billion of damage that comes from a match or a lighter. Over 500 people are killed. Now think about that. A, ma a book of matches, I got these at Pompadour's. It's probably my favorite restaurant in Dallas. Well, anyway, you can take one match 
And if you like, I could light this match right now, and just that would burn this building down. I could take this match home, and I could burn my home down. That's what happens. It's that powerful. But if you notice, probably, what, 80% of the match would do nothing. All it is is just paper, and it keeps burning. But it's that one-eighth square of an inch, maybe, that's on the tip of that match that makes it powerful. Not only could I burn my house, I could take this book of matches and burn every house on my street. See, it's got that much power, and what the Bible says, your tongue has that kind of power. Look at verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. If you've ever been to SeaWorld and you see the orca whales, if you, you know, see the, the sea lions come up for a piece of fish, they're able to tame these great animals. But listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame your tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, that doesn't imply that we just accept that the way it is because God can give us the ability to change our tongue. How many know one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? In other words, when you yield yourself to God, God will produce in you one of which is self-control. So we don't want to get hopeless on this, but this is a strong reality. No human being can control their tongue. It is full of deadly poison. Uh, your tongue is like snake's poison. Uh, it's a rattlesnake, a copperhead. Uh, imagine if you're, let's say if you're a deer hunter, these guys in camo, uh, they're all cool and they take their four-wheeler and they drive a half an hour in the woods, which is probably a two-hour walk, and they get out there and they don't have snake boots on, and they get bit by a snake. How I many know they, they could perhaps die if they're by themselves if they don't get to the hospital? It's that powerful. Well, that's what he's saying is the venom of our tongue is, is gossip. It's complaining. It's murmuring. It's backbiting. It's hateful words that come out of our mouth. And this is what we're going to focus on this morning. Next week, I'm going to talk, the part two is going to be words that bless and words that heal, and you'll want to hear that. But this morning, it's about these deadly words. Uh, what do you think your life would accomplish if somebody said, you're just no-account white trash, you're never going to amount to anything? I mean, you don't have anything going for you in life. Let's say you're an 11-year-old impressionable kid, and, and uh, you know, kids make fun of you. Your family doesn't have much money, and you hear that all your life. You're just no-account white trash. It those words are stifling your destiny. How about if, and this is, you know, kind of junior high, high school language. Uh, how about if some kid says, uh, you're so ugly the dog won't even come out when you're home? I mean, if that little girl is already struggling with the way she looks, how many know that's going to do this to her? And it's going to be worse if her dad thinks he's making a joke or being funny if he, the most, one of the most influential people in her life, curses her like that. Now, let me illustrate to you. Uh, I've, got a, I've got an illustrator here. Zach, come on up here. Now, I want you to pull out your, what you thought was a rubber band, but it's actually a tongue control device. <laughs> I want you to put it on your wrist. It's uh, developed by TCD Enterprises. I am the head psychologist that put it together. I have a, uh, a, a minor in psychology I learned at a secular school, so virtually it was all wrong because it was all man-centered. Now, stay with me. Your foundational principles determine what you believe about life. If you have a Ph.D. founded on the wrong principles, remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? What's the top of the, of, uh, what's the, top of the pyramid? Self-actualization. What's the top of the pyramid for the Christian? 
Well, uh, we're told in the book of Ecclesiastes by the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, he said, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and obey His commandments because one day you're going to give an account before God. So your basis of your worldview will determine everything else about you. If your basis of your worldview is there is no God, it's going to flow out from everything. If the basis of your worldview is we've got to protect the planet above all costs, even if it means killing people, listen, by holding back DDT and the developing nations of the world that kill mosquitoes, but yet science has proven today that DDT is not nearly as damaging to the environment as we thought it was, but because people have a false worldview and believe they need population control, I mean, no, God's big enough to make this thing. He can feed as many people on the planet as there is. But if your, wor if your worldview starts on a wrong assumption, you're going to end up in the wrong place. Okay? Back to this tongue control device. Now, we're starting a company, TCD Enterprises, with this. I think we can make a lot of money. It's a product that can change people's lives. We're looking for investors, so let me tell you how it looks. This model that you have on your hand that Zach is demoing, this is a, a, a unisex model. It can be worn by men or women. Uh, if you like it on your left hand, put it there. If you want to put it on your right, you just flip it apart. You just, you know, up, flip it over and you put it on your right hand. It's very, it just will blend in with anything you wear. We have two models. This is the basic model. I'll show you in just a minute the deluxe model. Um, what else can I say? Oh, it can be a single operator. In other words, you can use it yourself. Or it can be multi-operated. In other words, you can invite your spouse to use it with you or your children or your circle or your secretary. So very, very versatile. We're giving you one away today. It's the first time this has ever hit the market, okay? So let me show you how it works. Okay, Zach, so you're the kind of working the powerhouse down there, and, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're a pretty significant guy. But this weekend, Pastor Travis and Whitney, they're gone, I think, to Dallas kind of with the baby. Whitney goes back to work next week, and uh, you're kind of the man the weekend, this weekend. What do you think about that? Well, I'd say, Pastor John, even more so than this weekend, I think I'm pretty much always the man. Uh-huh. I'd say we need to put into practice the tongue control device. What you do is you just open your hand like that, and it's, and it's adjustable. You can use it at about a half an inch to get response, an inch or an inch and a half. I'm going to pick the inch response on this uh, about, about these little prideful remarks, Zach, that came out of his mouth. Okay. Well, it hurt a little bit more than I thought it was going to. Okay, we'll try it again. Okay. How about that? Okay. Well, two inches, of course, would hurt more than one Okay. Inch. All right. Now, now, now. Let me ask the, or formulate the question again. Pastor Travis is out of town this week, and you're kind of the man. Well, you know, we can't do it without Pastor Travis. Uh, he's the best youth pastor probably on the planet, so I hope that's better. It's free as my gift to you. Here's another one. Hey, Zach, you're just around, you know, you're just talking to some of your friends. Hey, I heard you went over to uh, uh, Pastor Mike and Miss Sharon's house for dinner. How was it? She's in the back now, by the way. He doesn't know it. Well, you know, maybe next time I'll, uh, I'll grab something to eat before I go over there. Uh-huh. What do you think? We should do it on level one, two, or three? <laughs> for the last question, I'm going to bring out the deluxe model. Now, these are for sale in the lobby uh, for $19.95 after church, okay? We're going to put this on. And here's my last question. You also got invited over to my house, and Linnell cooked dinner for yeah, you. Yeah, so, she's the best so. cook I've ever seen. It was, it was delicious. A tongue control device. I'm looking for investors. <laughs> Verse 9. 
With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in the likeness of God. We praise God, and we can curse a human being. And I don't mean a curse like, ooh, I'm just talking about a word curse. I'm talking about, I hate you, you're ugly, Uh, nobody cares about you, these kind of things. He, He says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. So the gist of this is the tongue is like a horse and it needs to be controlled in a corral. We need to have a corral for our horse. Now, uh, this uh, product, this uh, tongue control device has been scientifically tested. It'll control about 75 to 80% of the issues in your life. And I'll tell you how to control the last 20 in uh, the latter part of the message. But your tongue can be a tool of Satan. It can function like an infectious disease, like germs that are, that, are, that are spread around. You see, words are containers. Now, I want you to think of a word as like that little basket that came around with the, with, the, with, the, with the rubber bands. That's a container of what's inside. And that's all a word is. Some words are very factual. They're informational. You know, they're, you know it's 175 miles to Little Rock. Uh, here's how you get there. Uh, some words are just mindless chatter. You know, most of Facebook might fit into this. But, but some words, and these are the ones I'm looking at, they have an emotional component. Some words affect the heart of a person. Some words affect my soul. Some words affect me deeply. Some words have the power to lift me up and they have the power to tear me down. It's that group of words that I want to focus on this morning. And if I could give you one more illustration about this. Uh, how many know food feeds the body? Words feed the soul. Now, I want you to imagine you're going through, through a line uh, for dinner, and uh, it's not Bryce's where you can pick, I want this cherry pie and that peach pie and then this key lime. No, you're going through, let's say you're at FCI, and it's pretty much one size fits all. So all you're doing is walking through with your plate. Imagine if somebody's going to feed your soul with these words. Maybe somebody put an affirming word on your plate. You remember when God the Father, when Jesus was being baptized, the heavens were open, and what did he say? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Now, Jesus was God, but he was also a man. I can't explain it, but he had both qualities in his life. Imagine how Jesus the man felt at 30 years of age when he's going to be the savior of the world. And his father puts on his plate, you're my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. Listen to him. How about words of encouragement? Everybody needs a double dose on that. I'll give you an example. When I was probably 17, 18, it was my last year of American Legion ball. Played baseball all my life. Loved it. Uh, it almost was to the degree that it was an idol in my life. But I can remember my last year, uh, I played third base. I was pretty decent at it. Uh, but my hitting had gone in the toilet. Uh, it was so bad, I'm batting number nine. How many know if you're a baseball player, number nine is not the place you want to be? I mean, I had become the guy that had become excellent at hitting it back to the pitcher, and I was not bunning. I mean, it was just not good. We were playing a, a team, I think it was in Olive Branch, Mississippi, and, and it was the bottom of the seventh inning. We're up to bat. We're down by one run. There's runners on second and third base, and guess whose bat it is? Wands. <laughs> well, anyway, so I go out there. My confidence is about this high already, and my coach loved him to death. He was one of the most influential people in my growing up years. His name was O.M. Briscoe. And O.M., he, just, he was a ball player, and he knew how to coach kids and get the best out of them, but he loved kids. But O.M. also drank whiskey during the ball game. 
and he would get a little bit carried away. So here we are in the seventh inning wanting to give the game, and he didn't mind embarrassing you at all. So I'm coming up, I'm in the batter's circle, and I'm getting ready to go up. You know, you got the rosin on your hands, and all of a sudden, the third base coach, OM, walks down towards it. Timeout! John Henry Miller, come over here, boy. And I'm thinking, God, now he's going to embarrass me in front of everybody and take me out of the game. Here's what he did. He said, son, I believe you can hit the ball. Son, we're going to win this game because you've been up there. Now, you get up there and you do what you know how to do. True story, I hit a triple. But I did it because my soul had been fed with words of life. How about words of forgiveness? Good scoop of that. Imagine you're driving down Summerhill, uh, particularly let's say you're a teenager, and uh, you, know, you know you're already on a short leaf, but you're, at least you weren't paying that much attention, and you rear-ended somebody. It was a little rain on the ground, and oh gosh, you're in mom's car. Oh, you're in dad's car, dad's truck. And he is not going to be happy when you tell him. So you're crying and everything, and you get out of the car, and you see this little girl, and, and she said, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. You say, honey, look, it's okay. You're not hurt, and I'm not hurt, and that's the main thing. What you did, I forgive you. What you just did to that little girl is you gave her a word of life. Now, that doesn't mean you don't file with the insurance. It doesn't mean you don't take pictures, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff gets done. But you can either have words of life. Or you can get out of the truck and say, what the blank's wrong with you? Don't you know how to drive? You get your license at Walmart? <laughs> yeah, actually, I did. <laughs> now, empty the plate just a minute and go through the other line. See, that's the words of life. Go through the other line, and it's, and it's words that curse. Let's put on your plate for your soul words that belittle you. You remember junior high? Nobody likes you. We don't want you to be in our group. You're stupid. Put a little bit of that. How about this? How about words that discourage? One of my favorite all-time movies was called Invincible. If you've never seen it, you really like it. It's a clean movie is the one that I've seen on TV. But a true story of a football player in uh, uh, Philadelphia Eagles, and he was a walk-on for the Philadelphia Eagles. The problem is this guy was a part-time bartender and a part-time teacher, and he was married. So he had not gone very far in his life to be in his, 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 his late 20s or perhaps 30. He was not doing that well, and he had this wife that was getting ready to divorce him. And his wife put this on his plate. So he comes home one day, all the furniture's gone, and this letter is left there. And she said this, she said, uh, she said, you'll never go anywhere, you'll never make a name for yourself, and you'll never make any money. You'll never go anywhere, you'll never make a name, and never make any money. He carried that piece of paper around with him as he began to try out for the Philadelphia Eagles. You see, he was influenced because what somebody fed his soul. Words of hatred, I wish I never married you. I'm telling you, if that's what you're putting on people's plates, you're going to destroy them. Words of life, and then we'll talk about the words of life more next week. But I want to go a little deeper now about words having the power to destroy relationships. We're going to have a little clip of Fireproof, and uh, so hang with me here. We'll do about 15 more minutes and we'll be done. Fireproof, great movie, but take a peek at it because words have the power to destroy. I want you to say this with me. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Say it again. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now, just to make sure we're all on the same page, I would imagine that every one of us in this room have had an argument like that or shared words like that with someone even after we've been a Christian. 
Hey, man, just because you're a Christian, it doesn't get rid of all the junk in your life. It's a process. But someone told me that they saw some of the clips that didn't make it into the movie, and before this scene was a scene where the wife was talking to some of her girlfriends, didn't know her husband was there. And the girlfriend said, if you could change something about your life, what would it be? And he heard her say, I wish I wouldn't have married Kurt Cameron. So he's got this. He heard this word that struck deeply in his heart. And then it goes like that. Let's understand a little bit what words. Well, Ephesians tells us this. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Now, that's an imperative command. How I many of the Bible says, don't sin by letting anger control you, that it's possible for the believer that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit? You see, anger, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Because if you take frustration and pressure, and you put in, put in anger, and you stir it up, you've got a problem. And you're going to say things that you wish you had never said, but you can never take back. Now, let me give you five real quickly some examples of these curse words that destroy a relationship. Not cussing, but words that curse and destroy. The first one is deceptive words. Proverbs 26, verse 18. Just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon. Think about that Colorado movie theater where that crazy guy went in with a gun and just shot people at random. Just as crazy as that is, so it is someone who lies to a friend and then says, oh, I was just joking. Just kidding. Let's say the two of you go into Subway, and uh, it's your buddy's time to buy. And uh, he's going to stay out in the car. He's got to answer some texts on his phone. He said, uh, just get me a turkey sandwich, okay? So he gives you 15 bucks, and he's going to pay. And you get inside there, and he doesn't, uh, and, and you both want turkey. And lo and behold, it's $5, come on, for a foot-long turkey at Subway that day. Your mind gets to working. He's given you 15. You can take one 12-inch sandwich, cut it in half, put it in both bags, get you both chips and a drink for 10 bucks. So you go back into the car, and you sit down with him. He said, what it cost? He said, 15 bucks. So for $5, you've destroyed a relationship. Because here's the deal. He rides right in front of Subway when he turns around, and right on the front window, it says $5 foot long Friday. So your deception has done what? It's undermined his trust in you. And if I can't trust what you say, I have no relationship with you. Deceptive words. Look, we use them all the time to get ahead in life. I would encourage you to do this. If you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit, and here's what I look for in a sermon. I hope there's a voice within my voice that God speaks to you. And if there's some deception in your life somewhere, here's what I would do. I would go to that person, and I'd kind of drop my head a little bit, and I'd say, hey, I need to apologize to you about something. There's a part of our relationship that I've not been totally honest with you, and it's bothering me, and it's wrong to you, and I'm going to tell you what it is and ask you to forgive me. That's healing. But if they find out that five bucks is in your pocket and they got to take it, you got a problem. Here's another one. Words that cause conflict and strife and tension. Proverbs 6, verse 12, a troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth plots evil with deceit in his heart, what's it say? Always stirs up conflict. Okay? 
You may not even be aware that this is in you, but let's say you're somewhat newlyweds and your little bride cooked you dinner and you sit down and, it, and, and you look at it and your first thought is, it's not the way mama used to make it and it's certainly not Johnny Carino's, but I'm not saying anything. You take a bite and you can't help yourself. <coughs> Yuck, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas, a cookbook. And she says, and that'll be the next meal you get from me. Those words called strife and tension. Now, you don't have to lie and say it's my favorite meal. It's the best lasagna I've ever eaten. But if you don't, what does the Bible say in James? It says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Look at another one. Uh, Malicious words you say behind my back. Proverbs eleven thirteen. you know what it is. It's gossip. Goss- and let me say this about gossip. Gossip, words that you share, can either be true or false. Gossip is basically repeating things that you've heard, whether they're true or false. And here's where I think it becomes detrimental. If you're in a conversation with someone and you're not a part of the solution, it's not somehow a learning lesson for the two of you. It's not something to instruct you, but all it is is to pass along someone else's mistakes and human weakness. I think it's gossip, and I think you make a mistake. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Now, how would you feel... All you camo folks, let's see, how many deer hunters in here? Let me see your hand. Okay. Look real high. Don't be ashamed. Bambi killers. Let me see your hand. All right. Okay. Here's how they hunt. They go get a bag of corn and they dump it on the ground. You go to jail for that in Arkansas, but not in Texas. So, so you're hunting there. You got your pile of corn. You got your game camera. You knows what time the, you know, you know, you know what time it comes out and all. I don't even know where I'm going with that. Why did I say that? Huh. Oh. And it's this really big deer. Okay, now, it's in the backyard of someone that raises deer, okay? But that's beside the point. Anyway, wherever the big deer is, you have a buddy. And you know your buddy's never killed a big deer. And it's a couple of them. I mean, that camera has just got them going everywhere. Big old racks. And you tell your buddy, okay, look now, we're gonna, I'll come back and I'll bring you next week and you can shoot one. Let's do the spit and shake, you know, the shake our hands and... Well, and, and he takes your picture, you know, by the deer stand, by the little corn feeder with it spinning out, you know, and the, and the corn coming out so for Bambi. And, and, and you go, uh, uh, go home, and lo and behold, he puts it on Facebook with the pin drop showing exactly where it is for everybody in the world to find. I'm telling you, you have destroyed that friendship. Come on, because you repeated something you shouldn't repeat. Here's another one. Offensive words. And these are all similar. Words that degrade, that ridicule, that humiliate me. Listen to this, Psalm 55. It's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. What good fellowship we had when we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Here's a deal. The people closest to you can hurt you the most. They know how to push your button. They know how to inflict pain on you. And everybody's got something that they're somewhat ashamed of, hurt by whatever. When I was growing up, it used to be my feet. Uh, When I was in elementary school, my feet were about this long and my arm was about that long and the rest of me was about that high. Feet kind of grew first. I was just kind of embarrassed because I had big feet. I'd go somewhere and I'd hide my foot, you know, behind my other foot or something like that. True story. 
Well, how do you think you feel, whatever yours is? Maybe you think you're short, you're fat, you're this color, you're that color, you're Adam's apple, your nose, your ears, your, you know, maybe your ears stick out, maybe they're long, you have lobes, you don't have lobes, they're grown into your head, whatever it is. Everybody's got something, and we compare ourselves to the supermodel. Listen, those anorexic girls, they need to come to church, okay? Don't <laughs> let them be your, you know, whatever. Don't compare yourself to some gal who wears platform shoes that high and you can't do it for whatever reason. Don't think something's wrong with you. But if you do, then be careful. Don't you ever say anything about somebody you care about, about something they can't do anything about. If they have big feet and you go to making fun of them, I'm telling you, you're building a wall between them. Just a little bit to help you there. Words that humiliate. And here's the last one. And this is really not a word, but there should be a word. I'm using the word silence. What I mean by that is this. When you feel insecure or like a failure, you need to hear affirmation. And this is especially true for men. It's especially true for children. I don't know if it is for ladies, but I can tell you as a guy, in Ephesians 5, when the Bible tells the woman that she's to honor and respect her husband, it's because we have this huge void in our life. And we need to be complimented almost to the extreme sometimes. How many guys fish for compliments sometimes? Come on, you think you're being very subtle about it, but your wife knows. Okay, five honest ones and about a hundred liars out in that room today. <laughs> but when you're feeling vulnerable, when you're feeling insecure, what you need is somebody to tell you you're okay. Somebody need to tell you that you're the man and help you believe in yourself. And there's two words, listen, every person needs to hear from their significant people in their life. I love you and I'm proud of you. Listen, I love you and I'm proud of you. Um, I was raised in a great home, but I, I do not remember my dad telling me he loved me until I was 30. Now, I don't doubt he did, and I know he loved me. He showed his love by doing things for me, but I didn't hear it. I'm sure he said it, but, but, but about 30, up until now, every time I talk to him, he tells me he loves me. You know, and I'm glad he does it because I need that. Because when you don't hear that, it leaves a void in your life. So that's kind of the word of silence. And let me wrap this up right now with a couple more scriptures. Psalm 39, verse 1. It says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. Now, remember when we read in James that no one can control the tongue? But yet here we see in the Scripture that we have a responsibility to control our tongue. It's not a contradiction, and I'll explain this as we go. But, but, but help me, uh, excuse me, uh, I'll guard my ways. I'll not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. Think of a dog that bites, how you put that muzzle on their mouth so they can't hurt you. This is what he's talking about. You don't have to get a muzzle. You do not have to go to PetSmart. You have a tongue control device. <laughs> That you, can, that you can control, you know, you can get your own deluxe model. It won't be the ones that we're selling for $19.95, but you can get one if you need it. You have a responsibility. And I would willing to say the average person can probably take care of about 75, 80% of, of, of what's coming out of their mouth. But let's talk about that part that you can't help. That part that controls you, that takes over, that you learned as a child, that comes from your anger, your hurt. Uh, Psalm 141, verse 3. Now listen to this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. And I want you to say this with me. Lord, help me control my tongue. What you're doing now is you're moving away from the rubber band, away from self-discipline. 
away from crazy self-help techniques, and you're saying, God of the universe, would you change me on the inside so what comes out of my mouth is not going to be hurtful? So the psalmist is realizing his weakness to control what's coming out, and he said, God, I need you to help me. Now, let me close with this. Have you ever wondered why you say stupid stuff and you hurt people? Yeah. Jesus has an answer. And here's kind of my last point. If we allow the Holy Spirit to change our heart, then we'll change our words. Let me say it again. If we allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, our words will change. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus is now talking to the Pharisees, which are the bad guys. He said, if you make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or you make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, what in the world does that mean? How can you make a tree good? It needs a transformation. You know, a, 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 a pear tree is not going to give sweet apples. Something needs to happen. Now, notice what it says. A tree is recognized by its fruit. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you or evil say anything good? You who have not been transformed by God, you who have an old, unregenerate heart, how can good things come out of your mouth? Because there's an evil root that's in your life. Now listen to what Jesus said next. One of my favorite verses. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Maybe you know it this way. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My favorite is a New Living Translation. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Can you say that with me? Whatever is in my heart determines what I say. And here's the problem. I can't control my heart. I don't care how many self-help books I read. I don't care how much I meditate. Come on, I don't, I don't care how much I, 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 I sit cross-legged and try to connect with the powers that are within me. I don't care how much you do any of that garbage. You'll never be able to change your heart. That's something that God can do. When I was young, I grew up on a farm, and a lot of old guys working with me, and I learned to cuss at a pretty early age. I didn't have to wait till I joined the Navy to cuss like a sailor. I could outcuss you probably when I was growing up. It's just a part of life. Everything this is, you know, well, you know, you know the cuss words. I don't have to say them in church. But that's just the way that I talked. It was very easy for me to yell at my brothers and sisters. I mean, that was just kind of, I didn't tell a dirty joke a time or two or four, five, or six. But, but, but when, when, when I got saved at 19, my life started changing. I'd never heard of being saved. I read in the Bible about being born again. Think about that. Where God says, I can give you a brand new start. I can change you on the inside, and you'll become a new person. And when that basic change, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's how you come to Christ. That's how you receive Christ as your Savior. Something happens, and God comes to live inside your life. I can't explain it to you more than that, but something real happened to me on August 15th, 1976, when I said, Jesus, I cannot change my life on my own. I need you. I want to surrender my life to you. Since that point, God has been changing me. I'll be honest with you. Some of the habits I had in my life, gone. Others, it took a while to get rid of. And some are being worked on today. It's a process of what the Bible calls sanctification, where God is cleaning us up, where God has given us an ability supernaturally to be transformed on the inside. But let me tell you what the key to the whole thing is, you and I surrendering our life to God. 
You and I are saying, Lord, I can't do anything. My temper is out of control. I've gone to anger management classes. I've done everything. Jesus, as the scripture said, would you change my heart? Would you change my heart so the words that I say will be different? And that's what I wanted to share with you today. If you will allow God to change your heart, you'll find that your words will be different because they're not coming from an evil, unregenerate heart. They're coming from a heart that's been yielded to God. Give him a big hand today. He's, he's worthy. I want to ask you to stand to your feet now. And this last about three minutes, for many of you, will be the most important three minutes here. Because a sermon shouldn't just have words from a guy, and you think about it and say that was good, but a sermon, you should hear something where God was speaking to you. Where some situation came to your mind and you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You felt God saying, my finger's on this. And that's what I want you to say, God, now what do I need to do now with that?